You have clicked and scrolled your way to Behind the Buzz, a public fit theater company's occasional podcast examining the slew of production processes that go into putting together our season of plays and stage readings. And against all odds, we have arrived at episode number four of season number three. I'm Joe Kukin, the producing director of APF, and I'm joined, you guessed it, by APF's artistic director, Anne-Marie Pref. Hi there. And today, we are thrilled be talking with actor slash playwright slash storyteller slash Tim Crouch, uh, the author of our second main stage show this season, An Oak Tree. Tim, I'm going to record a fawning uh, psychophantic intro for you later, I promise, mentioning my arm and Adler and Gibb and the I Plays, I Malvolio, I Banco, I Caliban, uh, and the BBC series Don't Forget the Driver and all that other stuff, but you're in New York right now at the International Fringe Encore Series, and I bet you don't have a lot of time, so thank you so much for spending a little bit of it with us. It's my pleasure. It's a pleasure. I the, I, I don't want to jump in at Oak Tree right away. What I, I'd, I'd like to just chat a little bit about um, what has been, I, I think what you have, have sort of talked about with in other interviews, about your unease with, uh, or your, I'm sorry, your fondness with unease in theater, unease in audiences. Is that a fair no. characterization of your attitude? No, it's not. Uh, the person who put my Wikipedia page together uh, has a little chapter heading called unease. Yeah. And I, I don't really subscribe to it. Uh, no, that's not that's not my intention at all. See, I didn't um, think so either. Yeah, no, quite the opposite. I want to celebrate um, what's possible on the stage and not put anyone in an uncomfortable position. If if discomfort is is incurred, uh, it's usually for, I don't know, for a good reason, or there's certainly love behind it, or a, 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 a lasting sense of hope behind it. Uh, so yeah, I, some people find it quite complicated, my shows. I think they're super simple. I think they're kind of almost rudimentarily simple, uh, like a child playing, in that the child says, you be this and I'll be that, and then we tell a story. And and in a way, that's what happens with my show, I, my work. I, I don't I don't pad the um I don't pad the empty spaces with stuff. I suppose that's possibly why I might be conceived as being um diseaseful. Um, I, 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 empty space is good for me. I love space. I, I love a moment where an audience comes together. Uh, I don't ever feel the need to sort of patter and fill um, uh, and provide bright lights and sparkly costumes because I think that's slightly infantilizing, really. I, I'm excited by an audience coming together with, with actors coming together uh, and, and an exercise being undertaken in fiction, in narrative, in imagination, a sort of collective act of imagining. And I suppose some people find that really difficult. And I, my mission in my work is to reach those people and go, hey, it's, it's really fine. You know, it's funny. I read because I, I read that I, I read that description of of your interest in unease, and I thought that seems kind of bullshit to me. Because one of the things that I've discovered in working on an oak tree and just looking at the text, I mean, we've we've had conversations before, Tim, you and I, and we talked about um, the need to care for the second actor. We spend a lot of time, and uh, we've been spending a lot of time in rehearsals. I know this is a great interest of yours in making sure that everything is geared towards letting the second actor succeed, and. Uh, it's it's been my experience now, and just looking at the text and, and going through this play, that you also have a you take a great amount of care to make sure the audience 
succeeds too in, in, in understanding what's happening. Yeah, to some degree, the second actor in an oak tree is a representative of the audience. That's yeah. So uh, the act of care to that second actor, actor should extend out to the audience. Because the second actor steps out of the audience at the beginning of the play, the second actor doesn't know the play, and, and I imagine the audience won't know the play. So the second actor discovers the play at the same time that the audience are discovering the play. Uh, in the past, I've suggested that they're like that the second actor is like uh, the audience's avatar to some degree is that they are a sort of physical manifestation of what's happening in an audience's head um and, and so these are all yeah these are all these are all considerations as much about the audience as they are about acting but yeah fundamentally i think it's important that an actor doesn't go into the act of acting thinking about themselves <laughs> Uh, and there is a kind of, uh, yeah, there is an emphasis in certain drama trainings, really, to think about yourself, to, you know, to exploit your traumas and mine deeply into your past. Uh, I don't think I'm interested in that kind of stuff. I think the most important people in the theatre building are the audience, not the actors. I think we've got a little out of hand in terms of how we lionize and sort of deify actors. I love actors. I am an actor, uh, but I don't <laughs> want that praise heaped on me because I think that stops any kind of discussion happening. Uh, so yeah, the audience are our number one priority, I think. Uh, and and my plays might not always feel like they're caring for an audience, but actually I think fundamentally they are. Uh, and the, yeah, and the process of care that, that that extends from the audience extends into the um, into the second actor as well. Yeah, a lot of uh, our actors, our rehearsal actors, are coming in uh, pretty nervous. And uh, one of the jobs that uh, Joe is doing so successfully, especially with the notes that you've provided, is is we make it very clear to them that we're there to take care of them. And then after they have their experience, many of them have expressed that they do feel very well taken care of, and they feel they go beyond that. They go uh, to to the extent of saying that they feel as if it is a gift that you've given them. And well, I'm yeah, thrilled that they say that. We, we were I would like to think it, it's it's my dream job, the second mm -hmm. actor in an oak tree, and the tragedy <laughs> of my life is that I can never play it. Yeah, and you've, you've screwed me too. I, well, I've screwed my I can't Bad do luck, it either. Uh, I feel the same I've way. I've done it. I've done it. And well, I, you did I, it, really. Well, <laughs> I mean, sort of. I... I uh, I had to do it four times, so the the second, third, and the fourth time don't really count. But the purpose of me doing it was to help Joe get off book because right. there's a, a huge amount of information that he has to to get into his body. And I have to say that when I was going through it the first time, uh, I was really surprised about how open I felt uh, during certain sections of the text, the, it, it really caught me off guard how uh, emotional I was, emotionally connected to Don and Marcy and, and, yeah. and to Andy. And I was like, is this some sort of voodoo magic that, that Tim has created? What? How did he do this? Well, that's a good question, Tim. How, how, how did you do that? I... I, I contacted a voodoo witch doctor. <laughs> uh, you guys have all the resources in England. <laughs> uh, no, sadly, he, I didn't. Um, oh, God. Well, it, it's it's a relatively early play in my writing life. Your second, yeah? Uh, 
My second for adults, yeah. There were a couple of other plays written for young people around that time. Uh, nothing. After the first play got written, nothing is simple because every play subsequent to the first play is in a relationship with the previous play and the previous play. So the first play was a play called My Arm, uh, which is a sort of fake autobiographical story about me living with one arm above my head until I die, told with absolute authenticity, not in any kind of performative way, just as a sort of, I suppose, a performance as a storyteller, uh, speaking personally in the first person. But I, in that play, I take objects from the audience and select them entirely randomly. And those objects selected randomly represent um, the characters in the story, really. Uh, and there are other moments in that play where I present an idea of, of being which is at variance to what the audience is seeing. So, for example, I present an idea that I've got one arm above my head. I never raise my arm above my head in that performance. Never, ever, ever. I, I suggest that I've had a finger amputated, and I do that by showing them the finger that I haven't had amputated. So there <laughs> yeah. are some sort of statements, some philosophical statements about what's possible in theatre. Mm. You know, uh, you don't need to go down the figuratively representational road mm -hmm. for an audience to understand what's going on. So my arm kind of fed very much into the process of thought around an oak tree, rather than using an inanimate object, the next stage in a way in that process was to use an actor. Um, and there's something very moving. I mean, it's interesting that you talk about, yeah, I, I find the play very moving. And there's something fundamentally moving about watching somebody who doesn't know the play uh, opening themselves up to it. Open, I mean, anyone opening themselves up to anything is rather beautiful. Was that by um, design, though? Like when you were writing it, did you intend for it to be moving or were you just open to any possibility? Hey, I'm writing a play about a child who's been killed and a father whose life has fallen apart because of that act and because uh, his wife and other child are about to leave him. I, I, I have not shied away from emotion in the story you know and I feel it's really important that the story should have an emotional heart to some degree ideas are transported most effectively through emotion um I don't I don't want to write plays that are sort of academic and dry mm -hmm. uh so I use yeah I use emotion I suppose as the as the you know the stuff you put in a pill to to transfer the medicine um so so yeah I'm 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 doing that uh, I, I wanted an audience to be moved in any piece of work that I make. Mm -hmm. I, I want an audience to be moved. Uh, I suppose I hadn't thought through clearly how much, how moving it might be to see someone kind of lost on stage. And again, it's that big thing. It's a big ask in a way for a second actor to come on with nothing. Um, it's also to some degree, I have to sort of question that. It's like I said, it's a dream thing for me. I would love to do that. I, I mm -hmm. think I became an actor because I didn't know, you know, what it would give me. And I tried to be open to what it gives me. And I'm trying to find that same sort of wonder in a way uh, and unknowingness with an oak tree, with the second actor in an oak tree. And I'm working really hard as the hypnotist in, in, in the play to enable that actor to feel secure and supported and mm -hmm. successful so that they can then be free. Mm-hmm. Because I know that as soon as they start to sort of have doubts or anxiety, then immediately their defences will clamp down. So yeah, my job is to is to is to lord them, to raise them, mm -hmm. so they can go to places where they might not normally go. Can uh, I? Can I, 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 I 
So we've, yeah, we've, been, ta- we've, been, ta- we've been talking about an oak tree a little bit, but I don't know that we've really um, described it for our audience members who may not know what the heck we're talking about. And, and I just want to quickly... Because um, I'm going to ask you to describe it, Tim. Describe the place yeah. sort of writ large. But I, 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 I do have to tell you that in, in as I describe the place to some of our audience members, and I suggest that yes, um, you know, every second actor, every performance is different. It's a new person who has not seen and read the play. I get a lot of sort of winks and nudges from audience members and say, "Yeah, but are they really like like this is some sort of fake uh, device that we're putting out there, pretending that these people are brand new to this moment?" So um, I don't think they all believe me when I tell them that that is exactly what's happening. Can you just describe the play writ large and that specific uh, device? Yeah, yeah, in the hope that prospective second actors aren't listening to this yes we have we're going to put a big disclaimer up that they are not allowed not allowed to listen there's been a lot of disclaimers in advertising (laughs) and lots of contracts Um, written it's been yeah it has been a neat trick to try and advertise the play um and making sure that there are at least 15 16 uh people who are not allowed to look at it yeah i mean yeah let's not big ourselves up there are loads of people who haven't got a clue about this play and they're the people we you know um so the show is a story. It tells the story about two men meeting three months after the death of a child. Uh, one of the men is a is the man who was responsible for the death of that child. He was driving his car. The girl was 12. She was listening to music. She stepped into the road and she was struck by the car and died. Uh, that man is a stage hypnotist. That's his business. He's a stage hypnotist. And the other character in the play is the father of that girl. Um, and in the three months since the girl was killed, Uh, He has transformed a tree next to where she died into his daughter. So she's more physically present, I think, in the form of that tree than in a way she ever was when she when the girl was alive. You know, it's much easier sometimes to have an idea of something than the reality. I think as a father, maybe he existed on a sort of ideological version of father fatherhood. Uh, but now he he stays by that tree. She's she's physically present, but in the form of that tree. Uh, and his life is falling apart. His wife is about to leave him. Uh, he then sees the poster for a stage hypnotist show. He recognizes the name of the uh, of the stage hypnotist. So he volunteers for the show. And that's the beginning of the action of the play. So a man volunteers for a stage hypnotist act. The stage hypnotist doesn't know who that man is because uh, the father didn't go to the funeral. The father... The the daughter was more present um, dead than alive, uh, uh, appallingly. Um, And so the hypnotist in the three months since the accident has lost his ability to hypnotize anyone. I mean, crudely, I'm using hypnotism as a sort of metaphor for art. The artist has failed in the three months to create any piece of work that that um, it has conviction for an audience. Uh, but but here it's stage hypnotist. So he goes, he's honoring old bookings is the phrase. He goes around the country, he performs, he tries to get volunteers to submit to his hypnosis and they fail. They all fail because in the three months since the accident, he has lost his ability. Uh, and apart from this one guy who walks up on stage, the hypnotist doesn't recognize him. And this guy is doing everything the hypnotist tells him to do. Partly because this guy, the father, is in this hyper-suggestive state. 
where anything is anything. In, in, in a way, they are in a hyper-artistic state. This sounds very kind of conceptual and highfalutin, but it's connected <laughs> to a real sort of story of loss and grief and searching for solutions. Um, the hypnotist thinks this man who's doing everything he asked him to do is just taking the piss, I suppose, is the expression. And so the hypnotist decides to punish this man in the worst possible way imaginable. And then there is a sort of denouement, sort of like one third of the way through the play, where the two men, where the hypnotist realises who it is. And then they work together to try and help each other. That's the story. Uh, and it just happens to be that how this story is told is that the actor who plays the father in the story of an oak tree is always performed by an actor, male or female, any adult age, colour, gender, race, anything, who doesn't know the play. And so there is this parallel in the play between a character who is lost in the world played by an actor who is lost in the world. The form and the content kind of speak to each other in that way, and it's rather beautiful. And, and the actor playing the hypnotist which in your case is you joe and in my case it's me <laughs> uh, yeah their job is to guide that second actor through the story that is told um i feel so like i feel like you've i feel like you've allowed me to join a, a a very special club and i have to say that the the uh, without this is not i <laughs> this is not an accusation but the the small hoops that we were meant to to jump through in order to get the rights to do an oak tree were different from any other sort of application process that we've that you you and your team asked for for bios and for sort of vita and sort of intention and it, it it's um it's quite um I guess flattering is probably the best word to sort of be brought into this club of hypnotists. Um, so there are, yeah, there are plays that I've do, and I and I say yes usually to people who want to do productions of my plays, um, uh, and but the plays are not just plays. <laughs> That's an awfully <laughs> arrogant thing to say. They're not just. They're not like a Harold Pinter or I don't know, you know, an Arthur Miller or. Oh, this is the play. Let's now work on it in rehearsal and work out how we're going to. There, there are some ideas in my work. And so I always say to my agent who looks after sort of productions elsewhere, could you please ask them to get in touch with me? Whoever's doing the show, could you mm -hmm. please? At some point, I won't be around. And then, you know, mm -hmm. but um, I, I, I need to have a conversation with whoever's working on my work. Because uh, the work is part of an ongoing conversation for me. Uh, I don't feel an oak tree is past. I'm about to go into a sequence of performing it actually in in this year uh, in Europe and around. Uh, so it's still very much present in my head. And I feel there are partly because, Joe, but partly because often in theatre there is a, a sort of, oh, my God, there is a, there is an energy in rehearsal to make everything much more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just need to say an oak tree, you know, if an oak tree, if it stops, if you, if it screws up, if the actor doesn't understand what's going on, you can just stop and chat with them, you know, you can stop <laughs> and chat with them. It won't destroy the play. If anything, it will quell those people who don't believe the actor doesn't know the play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so when, any, when anything goes wrong, wrong, even wrong is the wrong word. So I wrote a play knowing that the text that I'd written for the father would never be performed in the way I imagined it would be performed when I wrote it. Because you can't I direct it. Play that would every time not be how I imagined it. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, I'm that's finding not this about 
It, it, it's Go funny on. that you say that. It's funny that you say that. I've I've now done. In, in, we're rehearsing now, and we're running through a string of, of rehearsal second actors who, um, quite honestly, have varying degrees of experience from graduate yeah. students at the local university all the way up to you know professional performers who've been working for 30 years. And I, the, just the width and breadth of, of uh, discoveries that I make every time I do the play is, is mind-boggling. You've done the show... Now, what more than three hundred and fifty times? I think you told me yeah, earlier, I, I and, you're about, and you're about and you're about to do it again. Do, do, do you still feel that sense of discovery with each with each performance? Uh, yeah, somebody asked recently. Do uh, has the play changed in the last whatever seventeen years? Is it now? And I've gone not really because the play changes every time it's performed. <laughs> yeah, because it changes every time it's performed. There is a kind of bedrock, and the listener needs to understand that this is not improvised with words. The text is written. Everything I speak and everything the second, everything the hypnotist speaks, every everything you speak, everything your second actor speaks has been scripted. I am a, a devotee of an idea of finding freedom within a constraint, within a form. Um, so it's important that. You yeah, it's not a free for all this show. But your but... your change because if you did it seventeen years ago, you as a man has changed. Yeah, yes, I've changed. Yeah, of course I've changed. Uh, I have changed. Little bits of script changed in two thousand and fifteen when we went back to it. Just some minor alterations. So there is a on the published text it says new uh, revised script, but it's not profound. Uh, the changes. Um, the staging is for me is still very simple and very basic. Uh, yes, I have changed and I've been, I've become much, I mean, I'm much more relaxed about everything <laughs> as you get older. Uh, but I was pretty relaxed with this play, play at the start. I, I, I can't prepare for it. I mean, I have to rehearse like crazy to some degree. So I know all that, not know, but I'm, I'm prepared for anything that might happen. Right. But I don't go into a kind of meditative state before the show. I spend a, an hour with the second actor or 40 minutes with the second actor, giving them an opportunity to sort of slowly get a sense of what's going to be asked of them, but not telling them about the play. That's a really good warm up for me because I'm focused on somebody else, not myself. Um, I think I'm old enough and I think anyone is old enough from, you know, a kid to now. Uh, to be able to respond in the moment uh, to what the moment requires, uh, you know, and that's what you do. That's how it should be in art, isn't it? Or performance, certainly. You respond in the moment to what the moment requires. So sometimes the second actor is feeling very blocked, and so your job is to kind of try and loosen them. Sometimes the second actor is hugely loose. Yeah. <laughs> your job is to try and hold on. I can't prepare that because I don't know what's coming. I don't know how they will be. Right. When they walk on stage, I'm going to have to sort of do that in the moment. And remember that our thoughts travel at the speed of light. Right. We, we, can, we can work really quickly. I don't need six weeks of rehearsal with an mm -hmm. actor to then be able to work with them. And in a way, that spontaneity is what I go to the theatre for. Yeah. So um, yeah, but, I... uh, just kind of going back to the, the question or the statement that I made before, I'm just imagining Joe doing this 17 years ago and Joe doing it now, there's a, a generosity in Joe now that I know of, which really lends to the piece, 
right? And so that's, that's what I meant about the change. In order to be really successful as the hypnotist, there has to be a lot of generosity and a lot of uh, selflessness because it's really easy to get wrapped up in the self because you are also an actor on stage. And if you're very self-indulgent and, and directing everything to yourself, then you're really not taking care of that second actor. Yeah, I have seen a production of this play where the star of the show was the hypnotist, and that's not right. right. Yeah. The star of the show is the actor who puts themselves into the unknown, and everything. And the hypnotist's job is to sublimate any kind of ego and to work as creatively and spontaneously and generously as possible to to help that actor's journey through the play. Well, reg regular uh, listeners yeah. of our podcast will will recognize my complete lack of ego uh, <laughs> in, in all things. So, <laughs> no, I mean you have to have an ego, obviously. But the, uh, the danger with theatre, with certain forms of theatre, is it becomes predominantly about ego, an right. ego in the wrong sort of way. Um, oh my God! The, you know, the, a healthy ego is the most beautiful thing in the world. Mm -hmm. But a healthy ego knows when to shut up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> An oak tree opens February third and runs for four weeks through February twenty seventh. The lineup of scheduled second actors is listed on our website at apublicfit.org. There, you'll also find more information, times, and ticket sales. Um, this might be one of those shows that you want to see a couple of three times to share the experience with a, with a number of your favorite second actors. And remember, at APF, if you do choose to return for a second or third viewing, it's our standard policy to take half off of the ticket price for returning patrons. We're back at Super Summer Theater Studios for this one. Uh, they're at 4340 South Valley View Boulevard. Shows at 7 p.m. and, and 2 o'clock Sunday matinees. And yes, Monday night industry nights are back with special ticket pricing and availability. You've been ridiculously helpful, Tim. And, and speaking of generosity, so generous with your time and information and, 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 um, and help with, with this play. But you, you, sent us, you sent us some ridiculously helpful uh, documents, including... Uh, a number of responses from actors um, that you've worked with uh, on, on, on this play. I just want to read a couple. Francis McDormand, who said, I enjoyed myself very much. No puppets, no puppet master, just a fluid wave machine. Um, uh, Alan Cummings says, one of the most amazing performance experiences I've had. But then you, you include it in, these, in this sort of list of, of things. Uh, it's like watching your own heart being mugged from The Guardian. You include it. <laughs> You included a quote from uh, the Sunday Times that said, a pretentious, self-admiring, pseudo-intellectual model. Is that, <laughs> you included that in the sort of materials you sent to us. Is that a sort of a, a warning or a, a hey, sense of your no, own ego in check? That's just a statement that this, um, this form is subjective, Joe, you know? Yeah. Uh, so some people will have a different, you know, some people voted for, I'm not going to be specific. I'm you on know, your we, side. We had a referendum in the UK, which bewildered the hell out of me. Yeah, I'm sorry about uh, that. Because there are people diametrically opposed in their thinking to me. And I'm sure it's the same in the States. Oh, yeah. Sometimes. And the show I'm doing in New York is kind of about that, about what happened. How did that happen? Uh, so uh, the way to sort of combat, I suppose, an anxiety about people who don't think the way that you do is to is to just be completely upfront about it. I, I don't want, you know, and I hate the whole sort of fawning 
um razzmatazz the showbiz you know this is everything is great because not everything is great uh, not everything is great to everyone uh, so I want a, I want a prospective second actor to know that the show is a piece of art and any piece of art, and unless it's kind of thin, any piece of art will divide people and should divide people. Um, you know, to make a work of art that everyone loves. Am I right in saying that's probably not a brilliant work of art? I, I think you're probably right. I, yes. I, I don't know how it can be. Uh, well, we live yeah. through that all the time. Every time we produce a show, you know, in my heart of hearts, I, I, of course, I want the Las Vegas community to really appreciate what it is that we're doing. And then I'm reminded that sometimes we do pieces that don't appeal to everybody's sensibilities. And I have to sit with that. And I constantly have to sit with that. Uh, it's a hard pill to swallow for you, a, I think. It's, it's harder for me to swallow than it is uh, for Joe. But yeah, that is the reality. Uh, of of the, making theater the, here in New York, the only the only review I have publicized on my social media <laughs> was, a, was a man who said, "What a disgusting man Tim Crouch is! <laughs> what a disgusting man is Crouch to subject an audience." To the degradation that he should keep to his private sessions with his psychiatrist. Oh, oh my goodness! I don't know. That the sounds man like who a... walked out. He walked out. There's a particular version of the aristocrats joke in this play that I'm, it's not an oak tree. So we're talking about another play, and and it's great because I, you know, the work that I make, I think about. I know it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. That doesn't bother me. Uh, I don't want to be one of those people who just go, my show is great, my show is great, come and see my show, because I think that belittles the work in a way. I want an audience to understand. And, and it was such a brilliant bad review that people, <laughs> when I, I posted it on Facebook and people have gone, I cannot wait to see this show. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so this play is part of the best of the fringe uh, from Edinburgh. You've, you, you're, a, you're, a, you're not a New York resident. You're a resident of, of the UK. and But you've brought this over to, to New York. It's called and I, I, I struggle with this title. I feel, Tim, like you've given me dyslexia with the title okay, of, of this show. Sorry. Truth a, Truth's a Dog's Must to Kennel. Can you explain Truth's that? Truth's a Dog. Truth's a Dog Must to Kennel. Yeah. Can you explain that title to me? Well, it's a line from The Fool in King Lear, I'm afraid. That's what it is. You don't need to know that. Um, but it, the, let's break it into two parts. Truth's a Dog. At the moment, I think in this world that we live in, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Truth is pretty much a dog, don't you think? And the saddest thing is that uh, it needs to be punished, uh, controlled and sent to its kennel. Truth's a dog must to kennel. So that truth is, is no longer free. Truth is no longer simple. Truth needs to be disciplined and sent to, uh, yeah, sent to its kennel. So it's a line just that spills out of the fool in King Lear. And the play that I'm doing in New York is a kind of meditation slightly on the idea of, well, it, you don't need to know it again with this play, but the fool in King Lear leaves halfway through the show. He just leaves. It's a very weird thing. They usually leave, the character leaves before on a, the traditional place where there's an interval in King Lear. Before that interval, the fool has gone. He doesn't say goodbye. He's just there one minute and he's and he's not the next. And and it's never explained, is it? It's not explained, is, no. Yeah. No, and one can only assume... If it's not explained, some productions try and explain it, but Shakespeare didn't explain it. And my only assumption is that he just goes, he just walks out. Uh, and there have been in the last two and a half years, nearly three years now, a sort of mass exodus from theatre, uh, theatre technicians, uh, artists, 
um live performance stopped as we all know uh, yeah. and a lot of people realized that they had to make their livings in other ways and also there's been a live exodus uh, uh from from government structures and politics and uh despair uh a country that we've had you know the uk has had a really terrible last few years few years not just the not just the pandemic but also our quick turnaround of prime ministers um uh, uh, you know and, and a politics very much dominated by ego which i think is probably a similar situation for you guys in the us absolutely uh, that's kind of not what politics should be uh there is a sense of division in the country here and in the uk a sense absolutely. almost of civil war in this country and in the uk uh, two politicians in the last 5 years have been killed in the uk mm. so uh so the idea of leaving that situation is very strong and the idea of leaving art is very strong or actors abandoning their 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 careers and so i'm paralleling that with the fool in king lear who's just had enough and walks out you can can i ask a bit about your use of technology uh as well it seems to me and maybe this is just because you know my idea of theater is a soup can and a and a you know a bright light in in some instances that you you sort of are attracted to uh, technology and even in even in Oak Tree, there's the wireless um, microphone that speaks directly to uh, the actor through some embedded ear earphones. Um, in um, uh, my arm, I think you use a, a projector to project up onto yeah, a screen yeah, uh, objects see, that you yeah. brought from the audience. And now in in Truth the Dog, you actually don I think the first third of the show, you're actually wearing a, a virtual reality headset. So, so I, I me, am yeah. I wrong in saying you're attracted to technology? Yeah, Joe. Look, what you have to understand with Truth and Dog, Master Kennel, it is the most analog piece of theatre imaginable. Really, I have a virtual reality headset on at, at sequences throughout the play, and I say quite early on to the audience that there's absolutely nothing in it. <laughs> oh, wow! It's literally just a prop. Uh, I wouldn't even say it's a prop. It's a mask. It's an image oh, of blindness, which is oh. very. Uh, contained within the play King Lear, it's also an image of uh, of, a, of a, a grieving for me of the loss of analog uh, mm. in theatre. Uh, the image of someone wearing those masks is one of isolation, of a sense of being in another world and not being able to communicate that world to the people. I've got terrible hiccups. It's bad, isn't it? I'm sorry. Sorry. Listen, um, <laughs> it's like it humanizes uh, you in a way that uh, your yeah, your you vast like intellect does not. not so. These are not digital hiccups. These are analog <laughs> hiccups. So, no, mostly, I, I, and, you know, yeah, in um, in an oak tree, there is a microphone. There is a very simple device that enables me to speak privately to the second actor using an earpiece. Um, I mean, God, yeah, my arm has some projections. Uh, I wouldn't say this is high-end technology. Yeah, but but, it, but it's, it, it's, it's, it's something that not all theater always embraces but you you brought up you brought up a point that that now I want to talk about because you said that in the first you know your first few lines in truth the dog must kennel you tell the audience that there's nothing in the in the headset um you're yeah. you're you're very open with them and telling you have no there's no illusion there and you do the same thing I think in oak tree you, you say yeah. uh I will not lie to you you'll you'll see nothing false tonight nothing phony um yeah is that that is that important to you? There's a really good question that the second actor is scripted to ask the hypnotist, which is, how free am I? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the answer to that question is, 
everything we speak is scripted, but otherwise. And I think there might be a dot, 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 or a dash. It's not the end of a sentence, but otherwise, which means that everything we speak is scripted, but otherwise we are free. Um, uh, so I, I am playing all the time with con with containment to some degree and ideas of liberation. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, an oak tree is, is absolutely contained within the text, but in the text is sort of legislated legislated a sense of freedom because the actor doesn't know the play and, and, and in a way the hypnotist's primary job is to try and understand get the second actor to understand how free they are you know and some actors are amazing and take the physical life of the show into a place i never expected them to take and some actors are very held in the play and that's all good no one can do the play wrong the play can never be done wrong because the play in its writing a sort of imagined infinite possibilities in which infinite infinite number of performers would perform it uh so yes so statements about how the play is you know i say in truth the dog there's a line that says this is a this is a live active and inter this is a live interactive and immersive experience about my character abandoning the world of the play king lear by william shakespeare i i am i won't do the whole thing but <laughs> i am explicit because i want an audience not to have to waste their time worrying about things that aren't useful Oh, that's a great, that's a great point of view. Yeah, I want to sort of remove, that's why I do say I, there's nothing in this headset. I don't also say that actually I can see through it. You might not see, but I can see through it. I don't, I don't I'm not going to give everything away. But I, I think the more honest we are with an audience, the more an audience will succumb to the act of suggestion. What's coming up at a public fit? Well, I'm glad you asked. We've been talking with Tim Crouch about all that is theatrical. His remarkable play in Oak Tree opens February 3rd and runs through the 27th at Super Summer Theater Studios. We're back at the library for our third stage reading of the season. Octavio Solis' beautifully poetic Lydia on March 31st and April 1st. And then we're continuing our partnership with the College of Southern Nevada. Our final main stage production, August Wilson's The Piano Lesson, will be presented in their state-of-the-art black box beginning April 7th. Finally, Audrey Cefali's brilliantly tender Alabaster will close out the season with a staged reading on June 30th and July 1st back at the Flamingo Library. And Behind the Buzz, we'll be back too with plenty more conversations with performers and directors and I think even more surprise guests. So be sure just to keep on clicking play. Speaking of honesty, do you feel, have you ever, having done an oak tree now over 350 times or so, do you, have you ever done the show with a second actor you suspect of, of preparing and coming in with, with uh, either some ideas or, or uh, actual understanding? Yeah. Uh, well, how interesting. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to not, call, I don't want no, you to call no. anybody out by name. <laughs> I, I have done the play i think many times with actors who i felt have made a decision about how they will do the play hmm. i don't think they might have i don't think they've done research or worked it out or read it or anything i just think they've come on and gone i'm scared i feel for them greatly i'm scared uh, i'm gonna put my defenses up and the thing that's worked for me as an actor before is this so i'm gonna do this oh that's hmm. interesting yeah and so my yeah my job my skill or anything is to try and read that process happening in another actor it's like a director you are joe you are directing the play as you go i, mm -hmm. I am credited as one of the co-directors of an oak tree because in performance i'm responding a million times to signals that i'm getting from that other actor 
But I can't stop them and say, let's stop a minute and let's just think about this. Exp- I don't want to do that. I want mm-hmm. the play to begin and keep going and end. But I have said before the show that there is a I will be presenting a model of how this show might be. So my my job is to be playful and open. And uh, and like I said, if, if an actor is one thing, I might try if they're stuck in one thing, I might try and model the alternative to that. Mm-hmm. in the hope that the actor might pick up that signal uh, without me saying, you're doing it wrong, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, for example, if, if the second actor is too quiet, mm-hmm. uh, I would never say you're too quiet. Mm-hmm. One of the sentences that I've used quite regularly in the show is enjoy making contact with the back row, which is a really good director's note. It's much better than Be you're loud. too quiet. Yeah. And do you do that uh, during uh Yeah, and during I will the do show. that during the show. Okay. I have done that a few times during the show where I'm aware that mm-hmm. the actor's not reaching the, the whole audience. That's happened in our rehearsal. Uh, yeah. And, and we're in a very small, intimate room. Yes, we're in a very small, and I've, <laughs> yes. and I've wondered how to combat that. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, it, I understand it because people are uh, tense and... Uh, nervous and again one thing that often suffers when you when you're under stress is that your hearing goes and often one thing that goes when you're under stress is your your energy your vocal energy well you've also crafted a very intimate play i mean the the some of the moments between the hypnotist and the father are just so intimate and and um delicate that i think there's an instinct to not want to abuse that with standard theatrical projection you know yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to perform the play outdoors later this year. Oh. <laughs> and I think, yeah, and I think I'm going to have to have uh, me and the second actor radio mic mm. mm-hmm. uh, which will be a really interesting Oh, that, that uh, is interesting. Thing. It's not ideal, but it's quite a big venue and it is outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, so there'll be two levels of amplification because I use a handheld mic and the second actor uses a handheld mic at one point. And, mm-hmm. um, and also I have a device that enables me to speak privately on that mic to them. Uh, but uh, yeah, how will also, in addition, amplify the voices of both of us so we can be heard? Uh, I'll let you know how that goes. Yeah, well, I'd say, you know, keep in touch. Send us a, a itinerary. We love an excuse to get to Europe. I'd love to, okay. to see what's happening. That's a particular festival that's not announcing until the end of March. So okay. I, <laughs> I won't tell anyone. I can't I, tell you what that is. I have a, a, a question, and it's centered. I admire how there's no judgment um, of an individual's performance as a second actor, but I find that when the second actor is uh, open and trusting of Joe, it is a better experience for that second actor. Uh, uh, you know, and as people, we have baggage, right? We have baggage and we carry that baggage around with yeah. us everywhere. Yeah. And as actors, we also carry around that baggage on stage. And sometimes that baggage is a lack of trust. Uh, and I've, I've seen that. Uh, I, and I, I, I find it fascinating and I, uh, you know, you just have to accept it because, you know, the play is not psychotherapy. But yeah. I think trust is, is an interesting component yeah. to the play. I completely agree with you. Yes. Uh, on both sides, there is a sort of prime, prime, primary level of trust, which is the writer's written a play that's gone. And now I'm going to open this play out to people who have never even 
never seen or read it mm -hmm. and I hope they won't destroy my you know my craft uh but I I don't think that I don't think they can destroy it uh even if it goes horribly in inverted commas wrong I think it's fascinating uh and and successful in that in that respect um but yeah trust between two performers in any play it, it's why we only it's why I only use actors in this play. You could easily, you know, you'll understand this, but I could walk on stage at the beginning of the show and go, hi, everyone, I need someone to come up on stage here and I'm going to take you through this play. Uh, and I don't do that. I, I make contact with an actor. I don't normally cast the actor. Somebody else will do that. Uh, but I have a meeting with them beforehand. And I assume because I'm working with actors that they have a technical capacity to make their voice heard. They know that they're going to have to sight read. So I, I assume as an actor, they know that. And as an actor, they might be able to be competent as a, as a cold reader. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want I don't want to take somebody out of the audience who struggles with reading, who struggles with making themselves heard, because then the play would become about their struggle. Mm -hmm. Well, there's and, also and a level not... of talking about trust. There's also a level of trust that one that the audience grants as well. The audience is trusting that you're going to present them with something that is engaging and is, in fact, a piece of theater. The audience comes in ideally trusting that this company is going to offer them something worth the ticket price. I think the audience has to be open as well, guys. You know, uh, that word uh, open doesn't only extend to the actors and the directors and the creative team. Uh, theatre is different from film and television. You don't need to be open watching a film. You can drift in and out. You can go wherever you like. But I think think in my work, uh, maybe all work, uh, I require an audience, theatre requires an audience to be open and alert to what's happening. And, and when I get those terrible reviews, which I do for almost <laughs> every show, it's because I think the reviewer has just not been open. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and that's that I can go, oh, like my play is terrible. It must be all right. And go, I'm sorry for you because you came in with a whole pre-existing set of expectations uh, and you didn't oh, you didn't change them. You didn't op open out to them. And primarily that's also about you didn't listen. If you listen, you'll get everything. I, I often say to the second actor, you know, listening is the way to be in the pre in the present moment if you're if you listen you can't be thinking forward you can't be thinking back you you're just there uh, and i would say that with an audience as well um yeah so that's why i say the second actor and the audience are very similar and i would say that with me i i need to be open and if i've done masses of pre-preparation for this play i have to do a lot but you know then i have to let it go because i know that every time it's going to be different um People have been bad, everyone. I'm really sorry. People have paid to listen to this podcast. <laughs> and then there'll be people who are not open who will be writing re really bad reviews of it. I'm gonna be uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I had hiccups. I'll be honest with you now, Tim. If anybody's paid to see this podcast, then I <laughs> just will be flabbergasted. Um <laughs> but, but, You've 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 graciously uh, agreed to give us a half hour of your time. We've gone w well above that, um, but I did, I did want to ask you one last question before we sort of wrap it up and let you get back to to what yeah. you've got going in New York. Is very um, important things, really important. <laughs> well, you get a, you're gonna want to get a drink of water to get rid of those hiccups first and foremost. I assume you have a show head, tonight. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, you know we we keep hearing about and and you've sort of alluded to this too early on in talking about truths a dog of people sort of leaving theater and sort of 
you know, we've been predicting the the sort of end of theater for as long as there's been there's been theater. Now it's certainly evolved and it's changed, and you know, we've gone from uh, people embracing, uh, you know, Tennessee Williams and um, um, that sort of type of theater to the revival in the '80s of Cats and and Starlight yeah. Express and big musicals and yeah. things. So we've evolved and and what have you. What do you are are you as pessimistic about the theater's future or present or evolution because you're, I, you're I certainly I'm working hard to make keep it evolving i'm only pessimistic if i, if I think it, it won't celebrate its uniqueness yeah by which i mean there is something that happens in theater that cannot happen somewhere else that does not happen anywhere else which is a group of people coming together to think together to transform together to see the idea of one thing inside something else to see the idea of a character inside inside an actor to see the idea of a location inside another space there are these things that happen live with us as a sort of consensual contract uh, they don't happen with film and telly uh, i think with theater as well you don't need to spend a fortune on transforming the actors i think the audience will do it the audience will do it that's what the audience does and i'm grieved that the audience is often not given an opportunity to do that in theater so because because it's not often given an opportunity i think a lot of people maybe are abandoning theater because theater is a pale imitation of a form they can get much better elsewhere uh, uh and we have to reclaim its best it's theater's specificity you know the particularities of theater uh, not be afraid of being hated, not be afraid, not hated, but, you know, not be afraid of it being visual art. You know, visual art has uh, always stolen the march on theatre. You know, there's no sense that anyone should make a piece of visual art that everyone loves. Um, people are expanding their thoughts around visual art and still in theatre, there's a timidity. But my work isn't like radical and angry and provocative. And a call to being... arms by Tim Crouch. <laughs> it's not that. It's not that. It's just, I hope, a reassertion over and over again of what can happen in this, what can happen in this place, uh, which is not, you know, uh, pallid versions of televisual realism. Are, are there are there plans to to write uh, more multi-character shows? You you've been focusing in the past few years, it seems, on one-character shows, your own one-man shows. Um, is that no, a fair? I mean uh, uh, the well, show that I had before before uh, the lockdown was a play called Total Immediate Collective Imminent Terrestrial Salvation, <laughs> uh, which uh, was another line from King Lear. Play. If you're interested, that's another line. From no, it's King. not from King Lear. <laughs> I made that title up myself. Um, <laughs> which is an illustrated play. It's a play that has an illustrated play text and the audience all have a copy of the play and they read together. Uh, that had three. I wrote a play in 2018 mm -hmm. that had nine actors in it. So, oh, I had uh, a terrible yeah, assumption then. To, to some degree, uh, the solo work goes out because it's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. You know, the that's less the way actors, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's easier it's to produce. I came over on a plane with my set in my rucksack. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, and to some degree, that's how I want the show to be. I don't want it to be a materialized show. I don't want the big freight. I don't want all that carne and all that stuff. I want to have as, as unimpeded a relationship between the performer and the audience as possible. And so that means I, you know, I tour with very little. 
the famous uh, uh, costume chest from which everything is pulled and 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 used to create the the play. Yeah, uh, yeah, even yeah. less, even even less, even yeah, less, Joe. Tim, thank you really so much for for your time. I know you have a lot to do in in New York, and and uh, speaking with us today above and beyond the call, really appreciate. It. And again, let me just thank you for uh, our previous conversations and all the help you've given us as we um, try to do credit to your to your show. I love the way you talk about theater. I just love it. Thank it's you. been thank it's you. been a wonderful hour. I hope the Truth to Dog will tour. I have this rather extraordinary situation where I now have a three-year visa, a U.S. visa, oh, uh, to to come in and out of the country a bit more, maybe. So, come to the West you know, Coast. Don't 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 squander all of your get, good. Get me to the West Coast. I you know. You can come to our theater if you if. Okay. If, that this is an invitation right now. Thanks. Thanks. If we if we have one, <laughs> yes, you will. You will think positive. We we're yeah. We don't have a venue anymore, so we're renting different venues, much like you okay. are. But we do have a theater company. Much like a much as you as you um, implied a lot of yeah a lot of theaters lost it. We lost our venue last season, so we're renting and moving around a little right. bit. Uh, it's been very successful our partnerships, but um, it has been a little unnerving, sort of being without a yeah. a, a, a home. It's been a hard few years, hasn't it? I mean, it really has. I'm I'm very happy to be here uh, in whatever shape, just making some work. It's been good, and I've got quite a busy year now, which is um, which at one point I didn't know if I, if I would ever have again. You know that kind of thing. And, and going back to Oak Tree uh, uh, again, you've said yeah, you're, you're yeah, because a particular festival asked for it. Oh, great! Um, and it was like, oh, I want to play that festival. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then because of that, it's going to have another little, you know, run of life. But again, it's a show I've never got bored for a second with because uh, I have a different actor to work, work with every time. And it's yeah. always thrilling and fascinating. Well, if you need an understudy, uh, if, if you come down with... Uh, yeah, you be the man. Flow, give, me, give me a call. We have to change very few lines. We are both bald. We both have red faces and yeah. bony shoulders. And Yay. I think that's uh, a prerequisite <laughs> as I look at the script. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Really, Good. thank you so much. And 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 I'll let you go. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you, brother. Bye. 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 Thank you. Okay. Episode four of season three is in the can. I, I can't thank Tim Crouch enough for taking the time out of uh, a seriously busy schedule to chat about an oak tree, his his aesthetic, uh, and and theater writ large. These are the kinds of conversations that inspire us over here at A Public Fit, and and I hope you agree. Um, You can help us continue these chats by not only subscribing, but also by throwing up a a quick review or a a one-touch rating. Your feedback is a valuable tool in making sure that we deliver the topics that interest you the most. And if you're more of the traditional email kind of person, you can connect with us directly by writing us at behindthebuzz at apublicfit.com. O-R-G. Join the conversation. There's so much to talk about. Behind the Buzz is a product of a public fit theater company. It is directed by Anne-Marie Pereff and myself, Joe Kukin, and is recorded, mixed, and edited by the stupendous Diane Walton. <laughs>